Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 121 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Kelly Track all about how to find your inner genius. But first, to last week's question, which was a bit of a flop, I think. (laughs) Um, Last week's question was, other than reading and writing, what do you hope to do more of this year? Um, Now, I kind of meant things like, I don't know, maybe I'm going to take up swimming, or no, I'm not going to take up swimming, but I'm, you know, maybe someone is, or maybe I'm going to go skiing more often, or or whatever. So I was trying to find out about uh, your guy, you guys' lives, outside of books and uh, writing. But uh, we only had one comment this week and it was from Val who said, I'm hoping to publish more and possibly branch into serialised fiction. Uh, Serialised fiction does intrigue me. I am intrigued by uh, Wattpad and and, and Kindle Vella. I don't know that it's something that I'm going to do um, just because I don't necessarily read serialised fiction and therefore I don't feel I know the market sufficiently in order to do that. Um, But yes, so this week's question is, what is your genius? Now, of course, you're going to have to listen to the episode (laughs) to understand exactly what that question means. But hopefully by the end of the episode, you will be able to answer that. So I might just remind you uh, of the question at the end of the show. The book recommendation this week is Fresh by Margot Wood. Now, Fresh is, well, it's interesting because it was marketed as young adult, but it's actually set at uh, college and the first year of uh, university, so freshman freshman year of college. And the protagonist is a uh, bisexual woman and the book is very sex positive and it's kind of an, it's very funny. It's a humorous exploration of uh, her struggling to find a major or struggling to decide her major. And uh, so she takes these random classes, one of which is like eroticism in film or something or literature. And uh, then she goes off on this um, sex romp uh, to uh, discover what it is, (laughs) something or other for this this essay. It's not um, crass or anything. It's more humorous look at, uh, you know, sex in in college and uh, sort of exploration and understanding your sexuality and also like finding yourself. It's very much coming of age. So it's not sort of, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Ah. The things that I've said, I worry that I, I'm making it sound seedy, but it's really not. It's just fucking funny, uh, and it very much reminded me of like the carnage that was my first year at university. Uh, so yeah, I highly recommend it. I laughed the entire way through. Well, I kind of laughed after about a hundred pages. It got very very funny, um, but it's it's one of my favourite books I've read in a while, I would say. Definitely one of the funniest. Anyway, the point being, I highly recommend this book. (laughs) And if you fancy a giggle um, and you don't mind uh, reading sort of cheeky, naughty books, I would highly recommend uh, Fresh by Margot Wood. It's very bingeable as well. Uh, And it's a, a, there's a little love story in there as well. Okay, so in personal update. Oh God, this month has been a bizarre old month, I tell you. Um, The first 
week of January felt like it was about 78 years long. And then this past week has gone really fast, uh, really fast. And also I've managed to do loads of things. I, I, I am in a very weird headspace because I did not come into this year uh, starting all of the new projects that I wanted to. I was very frustrated. I started this year quite pissed off and down. Um, but now that I am more or less coming to the end of those projects, I am really starting to feel that energy gearing up again. So I'm getting quite excited. I finished editing my novella, Sirens. That is done and ready to go to the editor and will probably go to the editor today. Um, <clears throat> I have, well, it will either go today or next week because I'm deciding whether or not I should give it to my critique partner to read. And then I, the anthology, the Rebel Diaries anthology is more or less ready. I just need to write the introduction and then, uh, and put the copyright in and then that can go to the editor. And then I have done uh, one of my critique uh, partners uh, changes on Trey and I'm just waiting for the other one to finish the book, which should be this week. And then next week I will go into like the read and tweak, which is the very final uh, sort of proofing that I do. I'll be using Pro Writing Aid um, and I will do that uh, and then send it to the editor. So <laughs> weirdly, at the end of this month, I will have given three books to an editor, which, OK, one of them's a novella, one of them's an anthology and, and one of them is a full book. But that still feels pretty good. My uh, achiever pennies are like ding, 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 ka-ching, uh, deposits at the uh, energy bank of uh, completion. So I'm very happy and excited. It is also making me feel um, a bit wobbly and a bit confused about next month. Um, I would, I have two, I guess, conflicting goals. Uh, one is to teach more and to create more courses. And the other one is to write more. <laughs> um, and I need to write both nonfiction and fiction. And the fiction I want to do is, is the young adult LGBT stuff. And then, um, I, and obviously I have the scent of death, which I have now made into a um, young adult LGBT book. But I have some other ideas of things that I want to work on. I've got other series. I've got um, two nonfiction books that I've half started. So uh, I have a fresh slate and a fresh start with it, with the exception of the scent of death. Well, no. OK, so I have two nonfiction books that have 7000 words a piece in and the scent of death. But the scent of death is closer to like 25, 30,000 words. And so that's the only one that really feels like I have uh, you know, really properly started and open. So I feel like I almost have a fresh start again. And it's been a really long time since I've had that. I I have forced myself not to open any more projects until I got everything off my plate. And it feels really good, but it also feels quite daunting. Um, I don't remember the last time I was in this position. So I'm excited, I'm daunted. And it's also making me want to make the right strategic decision. So I am flailing a little bit, I would say. I am sort of circling in a circle, uh, trying to decide the right course of action. Um, but, you know, first world problems, this is it's an exciting position to be in. So I also have some news. I may have hinted a little while ago that there were some things in the offing. And um, a few months ago, about halfway through last year, I received an email um, from a foreign publisher uh, asking to engage with me in discussions about book translations. I thought it was spam. <laughs> so I sent it off to, uh, well, I did a bit of research and couldn't 
find anything that suggested it was spam. I actually found genuine websites and genuine books. And anyway, and so I sent it off to the Alliance of Independent Authors uh, rights desk and they said it was genuine. So down the path I went, um, originally they were just looking at two of my nonfiction books and then the they asked to uh, do translations on four, at which point I felt uh, like I needed some help with this deal. So I started working with Ethan and Ezra Ellenberg from the literary agency and they are now helping me with uh, future translations as well. So that's uh, exciting to be working with an agent. It's not something I've done before. And uh, they have helped me to close this deal. And so that is all done. It's all signed. So I'm allowed to say that uh, there is a four book translation deal with um, a Korean publisher. And that publisher is Will Books Publishing. At the moment, I can't say too much more. Um, but yes, I'm allowed to announce the deal. So I thought I would share that with you because it's quite exciting. And I'm, yeah, I think I'm most giddy about getting to see my books uh, printed in a, in a foreign language. So that will be very exciting. And if you are Korean or you speak Korean, um, then that is something to look out for in the future. And when I have more details, I will give you more details. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I say, it's been a crazy start to the year. Uh, these are all like it's been a, I don't know, it's been a whirlwind of roller coaster. Um, so this next week, I will mostly be working on finishing off uh, Trey and doing that read and tweak and trying to give myself some headspace to figure out what my next steps are in terms of uh, course creation and uh, fiction and nonfiction books uh, because I am really struggling to decide <laughs> what I should work on because I want to work on all of them <laughs> which is not helpful and I am not going to open three boxes or three tabs I should say and have three projects on the go again sorry that was me crashing into my table um I'm just not going to do it because it's it's too hard it's too uh painful for my brain and I like to I like I like starting projects as much as I like finishing projects. Um, and so, yeah, I want to be able to cycle through faster. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have any other news at the moment. Um, oh, yeah, I suppose that's probably enough. <laughs> anyway, right. Revel of the week this week is Matthew Goodall. Matthew says, when I was in high school, third year, not sure what your exam equivalencies are overseas, I enrolled in school C art and opted uh, to drop maths. My headmaster called me into his office um, and told me that no boy in the top class had ever not taken maths for school C and that I would be taking it. It should be noted that beyond a basic understanding, addition, subtraction, budgeting, etc., maths is not my strong suit. I promptly dropped art as an exam subject. I took it to fill in my timetable instead. I did actually try to study for maths, but still ended up failing the exams at the end of the year. Consequently, I was called back into his office where he tried to berate me for failing. I smiled and politely reminded him that I hadn't wanted to take it and that he had insisted that I take it. I turned around and walked out with the definite moral high ground. I, uh, yeah, I love that you got to give him the, the middle finger and be like, well, I told you so, because I do rather enjoy an, an I told you so, so moment. The other thing that I love is that, uh, so I know uh, Matthew, Matthew is also a patron and um, he has, used his art and he illustrates his own children's books and they are wonderful um 
And so I love that he's also continued the uh, big fuck you uh, to to that teacher uh, throughout his life by using his art and making money from his art, which I just think is fantastic. If you would like to be a rebel of the week, and seriously, guys, <laughs> we are very low on rebels of the week again. I might have to post in the, in, in the Facebook group and on Instagram and stuff uh, because we are seriously low on rebel stories. Then please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or something in between. You can email your rebel story to uh, Becca and Sasha at rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. So that email address is rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, no, that's what you can do. <laughs> Lovely. My notes always say Instagram me, but like, don't, don't do that. Just email because that is the, the best way to get us and you're guaranteed for it to go in. And I'm, my senile brain won't uh, forget. No new patrons this week, but I want to say a gigantic thank you to all of my existing patrons. This week I ran the second uh, Rebel Readers Masterclass. We uh, did a masterclass on a master of gin and it was fantastic. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, teaching the class. I loved listening to everybody's opinions and getting to share and learn about some tools and tricks, things that did work and things that didn't work uh, in, in that uh, book. And that was a two-hour masterclass which you get uh, if you are a I think it's Rebel Emperor I can't quite remember the tiers it's a $15 a month tier and you get uh, at least four of those classes uh, every year as well as everything else and in the next uh, Rebel Readers masterclass we are studying not one but two books um, and we're also going to do a movie watch party because there is a movie of one of the books so we're going to do a bit of a trifecta of comparison and uh, take all of the tips and tricks and this class is going to be uh, based on romance. Uh, so we have a young adult uh, lesbian fantasy that is uh, has a romantic subplot and then we've got uh, The Hating Game which is a full-blown rivals to lovers romance uh, story. So we're going to be looking and studying both of those books to see what the authors do. That's awesome. Sorry the other one is called Sweet and Better Magic by Adrian Tooley. Um, what else? You can also become part of the Slack group um, and you can get all of the episodes early and you can do all of that from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. All right, that's it from me this week. Let's get on with the episode. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am joined by Kelly Track. Kelly is a full-time entrepreneur, business coach and author of P.S., you're a genius, an unconventional guide to finding your innate gifts, even when you feel like you have none. You can find out more about Kelly at kellytrack.com. And I will, of course, leave that link in the show notes. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much for having me here, Sash. I so appreciate it. You are most welcome. So what a fantastic uh, topic to have written a book about. Very, very fascinating. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of authors in particular struggle with because, you know, we have to find that thing that it's uniquely us that fits a market um, and, you know, that we can make money on and sort of monetize our genius, so to speak. And yet so many of us creators were kind of 
squashed in childhood and pushed into boxes that didn't fit. And so we kind of forget those things that are uniquely us. So I thought this was a fascinating topic to um, talk about. So yeah, I'm really excited that you're on the show. But first of all, would you like to tell everyone a little bit about you and your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, for sure. I always like to joke that if I saw where I'd end up in a crystal ball when I was in high school, I'd be like, are you sure? Like, I don't know. (laughs) I, um, in high school, I was like such your classic, like overachiever. I won enough scholarships to go to university for free. I went to one of Canada's most competitive business schools. I did all the things. And at the end of my time, I didn't really like any of the jobs I got. So I was like, well, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I'm going to move to San Francisco and build my first tech startup. And I got into this very prestigious pre-accelerator program, top eight, a billionaire venture capitalist. And I tried with tech startup one and it failed. I tried with tech startup two. It also failed. And I tried a third time and then it failed. And I booked a vacation for like a week back to Canada. And I was in this cabin in the woods, truly in the middle of kind of nowhere with the Wi-Fi is bad. And I was trying to think about what I would do next with my life. And I kind of heard this phrase drop into my head, which I would call as my intuition. Some people might call higher voice or source or God, but it said to me, Kelly, what if you just did what you were good at? And that was a question I had never considered in my whole life. I was always chasing the hardest, most difficult things, pursuing challenging progress, like projects, really pushing myself. And I had noticed with this, with all these startups, no matter how hard I was trying, I couldn't get the traction I desired. And it was sort of like all my usual tactics weren't working. So I was like, okay, well, what am I even good at? Like, what is that? I actually didn't even know. So the the only thing I really knew what to kind of maybe look at was the 10,000 hours concept from Malcolm Gladwell and where I created mastery in my life. And I was like, well, it's the only thing I know truly that well is my autoimmune condition and managing that, which I was like, okay, I'll start like a blog and talking about my holistic approach to that, which had a large emphasis on mindset and talking about mindset tools. And then I started making, you know, a website and courses and a program and a podcast. And it started shifting into more mindset stuff. And after a while, people were like, well, Kelly, you've built up this whole digital business. Could you maybe help me? And I was like, are you sure you really want my help? Like I had all these failed startups. But I worked with one person and sometimes your genius is just under the tip of your nose. And I was just really innately good at helping people kind of sit with them, ask them sort of quirky, unconventional questions to help them figure out what their unique gifts and genius were and turn that into something that they could sell in terms of like a product or service and offering and translate that into a business model, flesh out a marketing plan, um, create, you know, figuring out who their target demographic is, how they're going to reach it, how they're going to sell it. All that stuff was such second nature for me, given my business and entrepreneurial background. And that's essentially how I got into this space is totally by accident. And now I work as a business coach, helping people find their genius and monetize it through building digital businesses, usually with one-on-one services and online courses, which really comes down to the framework that I teach in PS Your Genius of figuring out what it is that only you can do and Mm -hmm. building a career around that. I love that so much. And I'm going to ask you a question that I have not prepared you for, um, but I was fascinated. So one of my personal favorite 
podcast is Elizabeth Day. I don't know if you know of her, but she does the How to Fail podcast. And it's all about failure, except it's not. It's about success and how failure makes your success. Like she is very, she, I think you might like her. So I'm recommending that podcast to you. Um, you. But yeah, it is, it is, oh, she is so inspirational. But um, what she does is she asks people to talk through their three biggest failures in life and how they have shaped those people into the people they are today so it struck me whilst you were talking you said that you mentioned you've had these three failures um in entrepreneurial start tech startups so I just wondered what did you learn from that what what did it teach you about yourself oh so much I would say even though those startups all failed it was one of the best times of my life I know that sounds so counterintuitive but I think I really learned one of the biggest things I truly learned about myself is like I was just like, wow, you know, I was so young and I just had the gumption to go for it. And I, even though it failed, like I saw myself, put myself out there and really try. And I was like, I am, I'm a person that can kind of go after what I want. Like that, I think was the lesson that I learned and garnished from that experience was just knowing that I can achieve something that I set my mind to that feels like wild and impossible and life-changing in terms of like moving in a whole new environment and trying something you never did. It was like expanding my own self in a way and being like, Hey, I'm the kind of person that can do those kinds of things that other people do. Like that's maybe me too. That was probably the most expansive thing I learned from that, from that journey. I love that. I find it so fascinating. Like the thing that, because like everybody is afraid to fail, but like, I think it is only in failing that we can get better and learn harder and faster Mm -hmm. and, you know, ultimately win. Um, Okay. So let's start with the most important question. Does everyone really have a genius or a gift? I really believe yes. I think everybody has a special source of genius that is like very unique to them and the way in which they do it. And I really believe that everybody is gifted in in whatever way that is. And it doesn't always have to be a conventional way of like looking at gifts. I think society puts certain gifts on a pedestal, whether you are like amazing at sports and you're like in the NBA or, you know, you're an amazing singer and you're like Lady Gaga. But gifts and genius can show up in different ways. Like it could be how you volunteer at church on Sunday. It could be how you are as a listening ear for a supportive friend or like how, you know, somebody writes a book or how somebody even like as simple as like makes vegetables taste good and makes a TikTok channel about that. Like geniuses can be so unique and specialized. And that's what I really believe. I I completely agree. I a hundred percent agree with you. And I love like finding and, and like, I don't obviously do it you know as a business mm-hmm. or you know intentionally but mm-hmm. one of the things so I don't know if you've ever heard of Clifton Strengths. I don't know if you've ever heard of that it's oh, it yeah, used yeah, to yes, called yes. Gallup so yes. uh, have you have you done yours yes I have oh, yeah. do you have achiever in competition by any chance I have achiever as my yeah. top one <laughs> I know it do you have competition too no I don't I am very surprised by that okay cool well anyway since studying about uh Clifton strengths uh-huh. I have am so much more able to see that like people's superpower because mm-hmm. you like you get to see that thing like about that individual strength mm-hmm. that may put somebody stand somebody aside right that really yeah. truly is their superpower so my number one strength is competition okay cool and my number two is achiever Oh, okay. um, wow. Powerful. Right. Um, yeah. 
But um, yeah, like I love this. And like, I never really, I don't think I ever thought that everybody had a gift until I started studying uh, Clifton mm-hmm. Strengths. And now I'm like, oh no, everyone has a gift, right? Mm-hmm. You just have to find it and develop it and hone it. Um, so like, okay, everybody who listens knows I'm an absolute Clifton nerd, but <laughs> let's let's put Clifton aside mm-hmm. and say somebody has never heard of it, isn't interested in Clifton Strengths. Like, where the fuck do you even start trying to find your genius? Like, you know, what, what do you ask yourself? What do you think about? Like, what, you know, what do you do to find it? Yeah, so I believe the way I describe genius is, it is your top three to five gifts uh, working together to create an outcome that only you can do. And I really believe it's important in my work to separate strengths from actual innate gifts because we can have many strong suits we can have many talents and i kind of believe that you know a strength implies that you are strong but a gift is like you are innately gifted like you don't even have to try you don't even need to like proverbially sharpen the straw saw it's it's there you can call upon it it's natural it's easy and i think it's really about finding those those true innate gifts um and when you do your top three to five at once, that's when you can can create a synergistic outcome. Hmm. Yeah, that makes it also so much harder to find because I'm like, I can talk about my strengths all day long, but then mm-hmm. I'm like, oh wait, if that's not it, I I I don't know. I can break the rules really well. <laughs> like, that's that should be a ever, huge part of it. <laughs> that's the only thing I've ever been good at doing the exact opposite of what people ask me to do. <laughs> No, I totally get that. Um, I saw that actually on your website. I actually really like that, that comment about your t- your enjoyment for expensive shoes and breaking the rules. I'm like, this is my kind of human. <laughs> right, exactly. I have an yeah. unhealthy obsession with expensive shoes that my bank account and account manager doesn't really like. No, I, anyway. I understand that. <laughs> to go back to your second half, how you find those innate gifts is through yes. like a series of questions. And those okay. are the questions that I outlay in the book. So questions that are like, um, how do your idols illuminate your gifts? I really believe that what we see in our idols is actually direct, a direct reflection of our own innate talents. And what we really admire in others is what we admire about ourselves. Like some, a mirror. Yeah, they, it's like a truly like a mirror. Or thinking about what are you great at that nobody taught you how to do? Like what can you do instantly and on the spot? Um, what's easy for you when other people struggle? Or like how is you know, your darkest shadow on the flip side potentially your greatest gift? Or like, what have you been unexpectedly criticized for in the past that could actually be something that you do really, really well? Um, those are some of the guiding the guiding questions I would use to start trying to understand somebody's gifts. What about if you're really rubbish at knowing thyself? Because mm. like, I hear those questions and I'm like, oh my God, those questions are amazing. I haven't got a fucking clue. Like I literally, mm. like, I wouldn't know where to start answering them. I could answer maybe what I've been criticized for. Yeah, I could probably answer that, but I don't know that I could answer any of the others, but the criticism kind of stays with you, doesn't it? So yeah, like what if you're not very good at introspecting? Should you do this with somebody else that knows you? Should you, like, how can you be better at knowing yourself? Mm -hmm. I think it's also, I think I like what you said about sort of picking and choosing the questions that speak to you. And um, also, yeah, you could totally do it with somebody else. I always like to, use your intuition and sort of like go with what answer comes to you the first time, like not feel like you have to sit on it too long. Like if there's things that come up for you quickly, like lead with that. Cause sometimes I think with doing a lot of self-development work, 
the questions can sometimes feel like heavy or hard or like that self-exploration mm. work, but just, even if it's like, it depends on people's working styles, but I would just recommend, you know, you could, you could sit down and figure out your genius in like an hour, 30 minutes, like even just like quickly, like going with what comes first, what comes to mind quickly, like mapping it out, just those quick, easy, intuitive impulses of like, oh yeah, this could be an answer for this, or this could be an answer for that. And sort of trusting yourself and trusting that you know yourself and just being able to give those answers versus almost second guessing or doubting or like asking a million people, but just leaning into that answer that maybe comes quickly and first, that would be my best advice for somebody that has a hard time, you know, sort of sitting with these kind of questions or feels yeah. apprehensive about it. Okay. Um, and I think part of the reason I asked that question is probably because I suffer quite a lot with self-doubt, but I'm going to ask you. And so like not valuing my skill, like I really mm. struggle to mm-hmm. see what I do well, if that makes yeah. sense, but we'll come that to that in a sense. second, because I've got a question about self-doubt later. Yeah. Um, you mentioned there um sitting with it for too long or overthinking it and not going with your gut which seems like a kind of a mistake are there any other common mistakes you see people making when they're trying to work out what their gifts are I'd say the biggest thing is just not recognizing how special it is or like kind of what you had said before like second guessing it doubting it because these gifts are stuff we just do so well it's very easy to brush it off and think oh well this is common for everybody or this is not even that special or so and so is doing it too does that make mine really that good um, versus like trusting what you have is enough and trusting that the way in which you do it is is right and good and perfect as is so i think that's the biggest thing the biggest mistake i see people do is sort of like brush it off or second guess when it's like no if we put all your like three best friends in a room they'd all be like yes you are amazing at this. You are so talented at this, but like really trusting it for yourself. Mm, okay. I like that. And is it cheeky? Am I allowed to ask what your gift is? Yes. I say my top four are um, speaking, teaching, connecting, and creating. And when I do those together, that's when I create my best outcomes. So the ways that those look is like coaching clients, doing like interviews like this, or speaking on a stage, um, doing you know my podcast hosting webinars or workshops that's where I feel most in the flow and like I'm just lit up and you know you're kind of in your genius when it's easy and it feels fun to fabricate and you're yielding good results and you're like you feel like you're you're doing the doing the work you were born to do as cheesy as that sounds no that makes a lot of sense and actually now you've said those it's made it much more tangible for me as well because I was kind of dotting around in my brain trying to work out what it was that I was good at. Now you've said those, I think I am starting to work out um, what I'm good at. Um, and so I don't know. And obviously there's like, you know, data protection and stuff. So without naming any names, can you give some ex- other examples of maybe um, gifts that some of your clients have had, obviously without connecting the dots to anybody, mm. but just examples of what of what, what you've seen come up as, as a gift? Yes, for sure. So examples, um, I have one client who I talked about in the book, Christy, who is an interior designer turned uh, life coach for helping creative, sensitive, introverted women show up more fully and confidently in the world. She has such a strong gift around, um, you know, being a sensitive person and like understanding that that was truly one of her best gifts and, and superpowers, even though that was something that she got criticized for a lot growing up, you know, also having the gift of really hearing and seeing people and just being very good at sort of sitting with somebody and knowing kind of like the true core core truth of who they are um 
like listening, listening being a super strong skill set, um, asking meaningful questions, like really the thing with the gifts is like gifts. And I believe are, are personal to you and how you want to define them. Um, but other, you know, groupings of, of gifts is just, you know, you, I have like other clients. So for example, Regina, Regina used to work at a very big tech company um, doing like product management. And she has such a gift for mindfulness um, and mm. teaching mindfulness. Um, now she works as a mindfulness coach. And she was one of my stories of when we had worked together after turning her genius into a business. She scored a speaking gig at Google within like one month of opening up shop for business. I know it was wow. like nuts. Um, but she has such a gift for, you know, explaining stuff really clearly and also seeing and supporting people. And, you know, when she takes those gifts of mindfulness, teaching, uh, supporting, those really get translated into, you know, her, her business and how she supports people and how she coaches and teaches mindfulness at different organizations and tech companies and, and how she does her work. So it's really about finding those like top three to five gifts and figuring out where you can put that in the world. Oh, I love that. And yeah, I appreciate that um, a lot because that has made it much more tangible and like real. So I kind of understand now. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. In a lot more depth. So thank you for that. So you have mentioned a few times around taking these gifts and mm-hmm. then turning them into um, like a business. Um, so I kind of want to ask two sides of that question. Like, yes how do you turn a genius into like a business or branding? And then on the flip side, like it's one thing to do that, but then how do you monetize a genius? Mm -hmm. I would say the the way I would answer this question is just like, okay, if you have this certain skill set, how could we turn this into products and services? Like what would this look like in terms of um, a digital service you could offer or any kind of service? So that could be a ghostwriting service, writing, coaching, uh, health coaching, you know, um, it could be financial consulting or what kind of other ways could you monetize this that feels most in alignment with you? Could that be workshops? Could that be creating physical products, digital products, courses, um, really sitting with your gifts. And I like to recommend always just making a list of what ways do you feel called to serve or what would feel fun and exciting to sell based on these gifts and mapping that out. That's usually a lot of the work that I do with clients is really taking those gifts and really turning it into tangible offerings to sell. Mm. Um, Another way to think about how you can monetize that genius is to look at the people once again that you admire and then ask yourself as well, if you find the top five people you admire and think about how are they all monetizing their genius, if you look for the common themes, there's a good chance you could monetize it in the same way. So maybe everybody that you look up to is um, also writing books, or maybe they all have TV shows, or maybe they have membership sites, or maybe they are, uh, you know, doing consulting for organizations or they're running non for profits, but looking at the people that you admire who very usually have geniuses that are similar to you and like gifts and traits that are similar to you and looking at how they are making money and how they're making a living. Cause there's a good chance you could probably be doing something like that and making money in similar ways or opening yourself up to different ways. You could be, you know, providing a service and in different income streams that you maybe haven't considered. Okay, so I am kind of trying to process at the same time as like talk to you. And I think I think my gifts are motivating people to Mm -hmm. do bigger and better things, making learning fun, Mm -hmm. 
speaking and breaking the rules. And I genuinely believe that is one of my gifts because I think that's where the rebel author podcast came from Mm -hmm. because it's all about rebellion. And so, you know, I, I suppose that one of the things I do is I motivate people to write the way they want to write, like fuck what everybody else is telling me to do. You find you've, and so, and I suppose in terms of monetizing that I created the rebel author podcast, which Mm -hmm. has sponsors and has has a Patreon attached to it. So that would be one way to, to yeah, monetize the rule breaking gift. Um, And I'd never really thought about it in that way, but that is, I suppose, like one of the things that I do best is like do the opposite of what everyone tells me. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah, so I suppose I by default managed to monetize that, <laughs> which is quite cool. I, I'm, I'm well impressed with myself right now. Because um, okay. you also coach, right? Writing coaching. I did. Yeah. Okay, I'm not did. doing that so much anymore, um, but I kind of do it by default. So like in my, um, you know, I will do, I will do consultancy. And okay. so in that one hour, like I will help people to go from confused or uncertain about the future to at the end, they've got a clear plan, really highly fucking motivated to go and deliver mm-hmm. that plan. Um, and yeah, so I do things like that. And then this podcast in a way, um, I think, I hope, I hope serves as motivation to others because I am very um, transparent with my own journey, like pitfalls, Mm -hmm. problems I've experienced. And I share, um, yeah, things that um, go well. And then the same with patrons. So I do like Q and A's and, and things, and hopefully they all, well, I hope so. I'm sure they'll tell me after this. No, you shit. (laughs) I hate you. No, I think everybody loves you. (laughs) No, no, no. But yeah, anyway, so hopefully like, yeah, that is the ways that I do that. But the interesting thing is, is while you were speaking, I'm like, mm, the thing that calls to me the most is is the motivating of other people. Mm. And um, funnily enough, that is a thread in my number one strength, which is competition. Mm. We mm. often, by default, by being so motivated to do to be better and to win, we mm. that rubs off on other people. But I actually really enjoy seeing seeing that spark come alive when mm. I can hit hit on the right phrase or the right thing to -hmm. say to other people to make them go yeah I'm like I'm gonna go and do it you know like that so yeah like after our conversation I'm gonna have to think about how I can do that more because I love that that gives me so many energy pennies Mm -hmm. um okay so let's go back to what I was saying earlier, which is, um, <laughs> despite me having said that, what the thing that I really like about strengths is that I can point to a thing and mm-hmm. say, I have that, therefore, you know, that is my number one strength. But mm-hmm. what I really struggle with is valuing like my own skill or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would really struggle to answer those questions because I just fail to see what worth or value I have. So, and I think this is a why so many people struggle with finding their genius. So what what do you say about, you know, kind of overcoming self-doubt and finding that belief in what you do? Yeah. Talk to me about self-doubt. Yeah. Self-doubt is one of the biggest parts of the whole process. So in the book, there's four parts. Part one is finding your gifts. Part two is finding your genius. Part three is called ditch the doubts that hold you back. And I outlined all the common doubts that I would see time and time again. Doubts I had myself, doubts my clients had, doubts like, I can't do that. Other people are doing it, but not me. Or like, I'm not good enough. Or what I have isn't enough. I need another certification. Or I need more experience or maybe a degree because what I have on my own is not 
simply enough, or I need different conditions before I do my genius or somebody's already doing it. So I can't, the space is saturated. Um, what I have doesn't matter. I can't make money doing that. Um, or people are going to think less of me. If I put this out there, this is, it's going to indirectly kind of make me, make me look bad. If I put this out there in a big way, I think the biggest thing with experiencing the doubt around your gifts is to sort of pinpoint what really is the fear? Like what specifically holds you back from, from sharing your genius with the world? And like, what is it really about for you? So, you know, if you think about when you're doing these exercises and you feel like what you don't have is enough, or you're just feeling insecure or not good about it, really asking yourself and sitting with the question, like, what is a specific fear or what is a specific actual doubt versus just like, it can be easy to sort of sit in that feeling of like, I don't know, or this is just not good enough, but like, what is it really about for you and getting clear on that specific? And then you can kind of work from there. That'd be my best entry point into navigating that. Okay. And so if it's a fear that like, you don't know enough, then Mm -hmm. either you do need to get some more information and sometimes that's okay. Or Mm -hmm. it's just, I don't know, fear or, you know, uh, I don't know. I can't think of an example. Uh, yeah, it's just you putting self-limiting comments on that don't really mean anything. It's all bullshit, Sasha. Just get on with it. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about kind of self-limiting beliefs and phrases, but I think mm-hmm. you've probably um, talked about them. So, like, what are some of the ways you see people overcoming these limiting beliefs? Like, how how do people work through them? Once you've identified what the issue is, how do you resolve it? Mm-hmm. One of the best frameworks that I teach is a phrase called inverse thinking. So when you have a thought, it's flipping it on its head to get another perspective or maybe a more empowering view. So for example, if it's like, I need 10 years of experience before I start this business, well, what if you had to start your business by the end of the month? Um, Like really flipping things on its head. Or if you're like, I really want that, uh, I really want to apply for that job, but I'm maybe three years away. Well, what if you had to apply for it by the end of the week? Um, But just really trying to, switch things around to see if you can kind of get a more liberating view. So if there's that feeling of, oh, I need more time or experience, it's like, well, how could you launch? What if you had to launch now? Um, And really breaking that down and even just asking yourself why sometimes five times can get you to the bottom belief when it comes to self-limiting beliefs is like continually ask yourself why until you get down to the root. So one of my clients, Jenna, Jenna was a graphic designer and she's working at a design firm and she really wanted to go freelance for herself, but she always had felt like I need a whole set of things in place before I work for myself. I need, and I asked her like, well, what, what are those things in your brain? Like sometimes just mapping it out, what those squirrels are. And she's like, well, I feel like I need to have like 20 freelance clients ready to go. And I need a huge portfolio. And it was like, well, what if you could just start right now, what would you need to do? And it was like, well, I would need to like build out a website, create some offerings. Um, and then, you know, just through like the simple things and it's like turned in, in then it turned into, you know, putting herself out there, getting a first initial client. Um, then it looked like mapping out a plan of how she would build up more clients. And through just sort of like working through the little things, Jenna actually ended up quitting her full-time job within six weeks to work for herself full-time by just truly breaking it down bit by bit and noticing that she had this whole story of, I just need so much in place to get going. And when she kind of just removed that constraint of like, I don't actually need 20 freelance clients booked right away. I just need a website. I just need to make a social media account. I just need to tell people that these are my services. I just need to put this up on my Squarespace page. 
bit by bit, she got through that fear of feeling like she needed so much. Um, and the story ends by Jenna actually out earning her corporate salary with her own business by the end of the first year. So that's what I talk about that inverse thinking of just see if you can play around with it a bit and like break it down into tiny chunks and then create action from there. Yeah, I love that story so much. I still remember the moment that like because what, what you're talking about is that leap of faith. Mm-hmm. and leaps of faith like when I quit my job I I still feel like that may have been the most significant leap of faith I've had to take mm-hmm. but I thought that that was it that that was the only leap of faith I would have to take and it, that's not true like I've had to take mm-hmm. so many leaps of faith mm-hmm. so like when I when I quit my job like my my the, the blockers were in my way were financial like I had mm-hmm. to pay off my student loans I had mm-hmm. to pay off my car mm-hmm. my fertility treatments once I was debt free mm-hmm. I didn't need very much money so I knew that I wouldn't have to earn very much money and therefore I could quit sooner mm-hmm. um but I was so afraid that like I built up all these clients so that I would have more money than I really needed. And then like you then are, oh, well, I started to value my time more mm-hmm. than money. Mm-hmm. And even though I then like reduced how much I was bringing in, I was able to create more, which then meant over time, I then earned more. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but like, even, even still, like I, I just, it's so funny because these leaps of faith are the most terrifying things you can ever do. And yet every single time you take the leap of faith, you end up out earning, out performing, out building, out creating anything than you could ever have done before. Mm -hmm. But having that faith Mm -hmm. to take that leap, like I can't explain how fucking terrifying that is, but like, yeah, I don't know. Like it is, it is the most terrifying thing I've ever done, I think. And I pushed a baby mm-hmm. out of my vagina. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like even quitting my job was more frightening than that. So, mm-hmm. ah, okay, right. You mentioned your dark shadow. So yeah. I'd love to know a bit more about what a dark shadow is um, and why it's also our greatest gift. Yeah, so this is one of the questions that I use in the framework to help people figure out their gifts. So this comes in like part one of the book of of finding your gifts. And the question is, how does your darkest shadow illuminate your greatest gift? So the concept shadow was from Carl Jung and your shadow self is the side that you are ashamed of, you are embarrassed of. It's something that you try to tuck into your shadow and you don't want the world to see. So the best way to ask yourself and figure out what your shadow is, is like, okay, to think about if a friend was going to say something scathing about you behind your back, what are like the three worst words that they would use to describe you? And those words are your shadow words, the words that you would never want to be called in a million years. And when you can sit with that shadow, flip it on its head and see if there's a gift on the other side. So for me, I had a really big shadow for a very long time in my business around being a fake, a fraud, and a liar. Like if my friends were like, Kelly is biggest fake, the biggest fraud and the biggest liar. I would have had a heyday because those were traits I didn't like in other people and were the parts of me that I really rejected because those were, it was just a huge part of my imposter syndrome of being like, who are you to do all this? Are you really that successful? Are you really that smart? Do you really know what you're talking about? But when we look at that, those shadow aspects, um, the opposite, ask yourself when you have those shadow aspects, what is the opposite? What's on the other side? Like on the other side of the coin? Well, the opposite of being fake is real. Um, And I really think about, okay, well, how could I have a gift around being real or being vulnerable or being open? And sometimes our gifts are really on the opposite side of that darkness. So it's good to always sit with those shadow aspects and think, okay, what's on the reverse? And how could I have a genuine gift around this? Because sometimes we're just staring at the wrong thing. And after a long time, I realized, 
oh, my fears around feeling like a fake and a fraud and a liar was just like me always feeling incompetent. And that was like my, um, my imposter syndrome and my, you know, inner critic comparing myself to others when I really should have just looked at my gifts of being real and genuine and honest and having really high integrity. And I should just focus on that sooner. Oh, that is such a brutal question. Now I, I understand more. I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, that really made me stop and go, oh. And then like, I felt a bit queasy as mm-hmm. words started popping up into my mind. Like it just, like it made me feel like really uncomfortable in my skin. Mm-hmm. Because like, yeah. And that tells me that those are definitely the words. So like I have two I'm sure I have more, but like the two that popped into my head would be like boring. Oh my God. I would fucking oh, die if people thought I was boring um, and a failure. I mm. am so afraid of failing. Like it, it plagues my nightmares. Like the, mm-hmm. I just like, oh, and I tell you like that is at the source of so much of my fear and anxiety. And like, I genuinely think like I'm trying to change genre going into next year and I haven't pulled the trigger on a few things and I think it's because I'm afraid that if I go in because I'm going into like a niche that's like not really any other indie authors Mm. are in like it's dominated by the trad business and so like technically everybody else would say I'm setting myself up for failure but I'm like well fucking watch me bitch you know (laughs) um but like the fear of failure yeah like that is what is stopping me and I don't think I realized that until right now when you were like what is that shadow side well the shit I am most afraid of is failing or being boring like I cannot I just oh my god like I would hate to be like everyone else like I don't want to be normal I don't want 2.4 children and a suburban nightmare Mm -hmm. you know I Mm -hmm. I, that's not what I want I want to yeah like I don't know I don't want to sound like a narcissist, but I, I just, I like different, unique, strange things. I like noticing the details in life and, mm-hmm. you know, breaking the rules so that I am different. <laughs> so See, yeah, I think has... those are perfect gifts on the other side. Like, I feel like, I mean, for fact, I can tell you that on the flip side of those would be being very like interesting and cool and like a cool person to know, and then being successful and having done many things and taken leaps of faith, which are like two very obvious you know, gifts and talents of yours, which, which comes is fascinating. Through. Yeah. And it's usually like, it's always fascinating with the shadows and the gifts because it's like, you know, if, if you told, I'm sure, you know, your friends, Sasha, like, oh, I have this, you know, I would be hate to be called boring. I'm sure none of your friends would be like, oh my gosh, you're the least opposite of boring. Like, how could you even think that? It's always fascinating because the shadow is so personal to all of us. Um, and I, one of the things I say in the book is sometimes coming to terms and almost thanking our shadow because it subconsciously propels us to achieve. Yes. You know, yes. because, because we don't, because I didn't want to be a fake and a fraud and a liar. I subconsciously was like, I'm just going to make myself successful. I'm going to figure it out. Like I'm going to like do all these things and build up this business and get clients. Yes. And it's sort of like thanking the shadow. And it to a point where you're like, thank you. You've served me. You've helped me. But like, I'm going to kind of neutralize this energy now and kind of maybe lean into this gift instead and sort of part ways with the negative story. Yeah. So I really piss people off because Mm -hmm. I refuse to accept failure. I don't believe in failure. I just believe you haven't Mm -hmm. found the way to do it yet. Mm -hmm. Like, but loads of people get really cross when I start talking about it. And I'm like, no, I just refuse to allow that into my life. Like, Mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong. I've made a ton of fuck ups. I have, you know, 
quit things and and whatever but like mm-hmm. there is a difference between failing and choosing not to follow that path anymore mm-hmm. like and I so I don't know like I'm very philosophical when it comes to like that kind of stuff because yeah I just I don't like but that's so interesting like oh my god this I feel like I am like examining just burying my child my soul on the podcast <laughs> um yeah no like where and I don't know maybe this is a did you say it was Jungian? Jungian? It was yes. Jung, yeah. Yeah, he, he made the concept of shadow. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The idea of flipping it on its head to find its gift is mine. But I do okay. give credit to him because I'm, yes. it's always important to give credit where it's credit yes. due. So, like, I wonder where they come from. And I suppose that's probably something I should study from Carl. But I wonder where these, do you know where the, where the shadows come from? It's stuff that you have rejected. It's like rejected aspects of self, meaning it's stuff that you just don't want to be it's stuff that maybe you saw in childhood uh, as things that were bad you know things that you've learned from other people have almost been like maybe parents or guardians or significant figures in your life being like oh it's bad to be like this and then you tuck it into your shadow maybe for example if you grew up you know super religious and say it was bad to be very sexual or and then you would tuck that into a shadow Mm -hmm. Um, or you know societal programmings of like oh it's bad to be super loud and you're like okay I have to be quiet and you tuck being loud into a shadow so it's thinking about sort of subconscious things you learned from your childhood that you know you were told it was sort of bad to be a certain way another thing is just to consider as well what you don't like in others can sometimes just show back to you what you don't like about <laughs> yourself so it's, no comment <laughs> I know I know it's some deep work it's some deep and work there is my line where I am yeah. not gonna say in public no, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's sort of where it kind of the shadow stuff. It's usually it's just about it's usually those parts of us because all of us have the human spectrum of emotions and we all have all the feelings and it's sort of just about at the end of the day coming to terms with your shadow. It's just like bringing it up to the light so you don't feel ruled by it anymore and kind of just almost it's just like by knowing it you kind of neutralize that energy versus always overcompensating for it. Because if you mm-hmm. always, I know for me, it was like, I always had felt like a failure and a screw up and like I was behind and all my startups failed and I could never figure it out. Like that's such an easy story for me to narrate. But and yet, was, yeah, you got and yet, all of the scholarships and all of the, you know. Totally. And it <laughs> indirectly propelled me to achieve, but it was sort of like when I could just sort of stop believing that story, it didn't have to rule my life anymore, if that makes sense. It's like you're energetically unhooking from it. Yeah. This yeah. has been fascinating. Like deeply, deeply fascinating. I feel laid bare in a way that is truly uncomfortable. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah, I hope listeners thoroughly enjoyed this uh, uh, soul searching that has gone on. I'm exhausted now. Um, <laughs> um, yes. So, but this is the Rebel Author Podcast. Yes. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Oh, I love this question. You know, I would say this book is a really reflection of my true authentic self. Like I've done, I've done many things in my lifetime where I think in the past I used to try to be more of a certain way, but this book and this writing style, and it's about me and my life. It's my tone. It's my jokes. It's my sense of humor. I had to work so hard to get, it's a traditionally published book. And I had over 200 rejection letters from literary agents who just told me no and no and no, you're too young. We don't like your framework. You haven't had enough experience. You don't have enough Instagram followers. Can you write a different book? It was just consistent. No. And I was like, somebody out here is going to have to want what I got. Um, 
and I just, I feel like the thing that I'm most proud of is just, I ended up getting uh, an agent. I ended up getting an amazing book deal and I'm just most proud of it. Cause it's like, it's a true authentic reflection of me and who I am. And I think that's sort of the biggest rebellion is just sort of the courage to be yourself and the courage to express your gifts. And it's kind of like me expressing my gifts in a way that feels true for me. And through doing that, I hope that enables other people to do the same. And I think that's sort of the biggest act of rebellion and being like, this is my truth. This is how I want to do it. This is what I want to make. This is how I want to do it. And I hope it serves the world and reaches the people that it's supposed to impact. And I think that's such a rebellion in itself to not conform and not be a certain way and not listen to what other people say, or just because people have been in the industry forever, but like figuring out, you know, who your people are and finding, you know, the, the right home for your work and having the courage to put it out there and be your authentic self at the same time. I think that's an act of rebellion. And how's this for some connectedness? Because in rebelling and being your truly authentic self, it is the fastest way to find your genius. There you go. hundred percent. Right. And what a yeah. perfect place to end the show. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for your time today. Please do tell everyone where they can find out more about you, um, your books, services, anything else that you would like to add. Yes. Well, firstly, thank you so much, Sasha. This was such a pleasure to come on your show. You're <laughs> such a you. delight. I really enjoyed being interviewed by you. You have such a gift for like speaking and asking meaningful questions and you have such an amazing energy. Oh, um, thank you. People can find me at kellytrack.com. I pronounce my or last name like track, but it's T-R-A-C-H. So I do business coaching. You can order a copy of P.S. You're a Genius at kellytrack.com slash books. You can find everything about me there. And yeah, if the book calls to and speaks to you, I'd love to have you as a reader. And I'd love to help you find your genius and discover the work you were born to do and ask you many soul searching questions that get you to think long yeah. and hard about your life and maybe make you sweat a little bit. Oh, I'm sweating so hard right now. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. And of course, a big thank you to the show's listeners and an even bigger thank you to the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Kelly Track, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week on the podcast, I'm going to be speaking to Jamie Albright all about how to write romance. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.